Our scripture today comes to us out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll read verses 1 through 20. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 20. The words of Paul. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaim to you, which you in turn received, in which also you stand, through which also you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaim to you, unless you have come to believe it in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation has been in vain, and your faith has been in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified of God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and, are, uh, and you are still in your sins." then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as Scripture is read, as the Word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day. In your name, amen. So let's do this one more time. Uh, and we do this throughout the whole season of Easter, so you get used to it, but, but there's a point here, and you'll catch it in a second. So join with me one more time in, in this back and forth. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. That's the best one I've heard yet. You know, uh, we don't just say that for any reason. We, we make that as a proclamation. All of Christianity hangs on that vital piece of information. It's not just something that, uh, that we can start service with. It is a public affirmation of confirmation of what we believe. You know, for Christians, for all of us, the resurrection is the most important moment in the history of the world. And yet, some in our world seem to believe it to be an impossible and an absurd story. A myth, even. And so, 
Today, we're going to tackle a hot topic that perhaps you faced from someone yourself. We're going to ask and we're going to answer and look at options to, was the resurrection real? Could it have been real? What are options that could explain the resurrection? Have you ever heard the old saying, there's only two things guaranteed in life? What are they? Death and taxes. <laughs> but guess what, y'all? The foundational claim of the Christian faith is that there is at least one exception to that rule. Someone say amen. amen. And that is the resurrection of Jesus. Wouldn't it be just like Jesus to be the exception to the rule? Praise God for that. It is said to have occurred over 2,000 years ago, meaning that there is no physical proof. There's no concrete evidence. Jesus died and rose again in the time before x-rays, MRIs, DNA sequencers, anything else that could be used to verify the identity of someone's death and or resurrection. So if scientific proof of Jesus' resurrection is unavailable then why do so many people believe? Why is this the cornerstone of our faith? The only evidence we have is stories and letters from those who claim to have seen Jesus alive after they knew he was dead. That's the only proof that we have. Before we discuss the logical possibilities then of Jesus' resurrection, we must define what it means to say that Jesus rose from the dead. And the most important point to make here is this. Resurrection is different from resuscitation. Okay? Resurrection is different from resuscitation. Resuscitation is when a dead body is brought back to life only to die again later. Lazarus, a great example of this, was resuscitated from the dead, but later died again. In other words, with resuscitation, the rules of mortality still hold, meaning that no matter how many times people are resuscitated, one day they will still die. Their bodies have not been changed. Their bodies have not been healed. Their bodies have not been transformed, but, but merely brought back. Are you with me this morning? Shake your head yes. yes. Resurrection, on the other hand, though, is the claim of a transformed body. The disciples said with witness that Jesus endured the whippings, that Jesus endured the nails on the cross, that Jesus endured the full wrath of Roman crucifixion, yet he appeared to them a few days later completely transformed not just resuscitated. And you know what? 
that transformed body of Jesus Christ would never die again. That deserves a louder amen. <laughs> we have a full Sunday in our liturgical calendar that we call Ascension Sunday. And that'll come later on in a few weeks. It's a Sunday before Pentecost, and it's the Sunday that we celebrate Jesus ascending into heaven. Jesus is the only divine figure to ever exist in this world who never died again and who still lives and reigns at the right hand of God today. That's the God we serve. That's the answer before we even get into the rest of the meat and potatoes of the sermon today. And that is what we mean by the resurrection of Jesus. So, with the definition in mind, and with all of this in the four thoughts, let's explore some of the logical options that people have used to try uh, to explain Jesus' resurrection, to try to explain this particular event. So the first option that people try to use to explain this is the most illogical of all the options, but it's still one that we need to look at. That option is this. Jesus never existed. The argument sometimes given for this possibility is that there's no archaeological evidence for Jesus. That there's no concrete proof. That the only proof, yet again, comes from the evidence of the stories of those who knew him and the impact that this religion... Keep in mind, folks, Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a revolution. So the only evidence is the stories from that time that was shared with the world after his death. In fact, though, here's, here's the, the interesting part, though. And this is why this argument is the most illogical and makes no sense. There is as much proof or evidence for the existence of Jesus as there is for many other ancient figures in the life of our world. Figures such as Socrates. We, we, we attribute many, many uh, quotes in, in theology from Socrates, but there's no, there's no evidence that he even existed either. Jesus left too much of an impact for us to believe that he never existed. The evidence of the impact that Jesus left and the lives of his disciples and all of those people of first century Jerusalem, Palestine, and Israel, that impact was too great for anybody to say he never existed. This option is not an option in my book. Option two, Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. Uh, this option is also extraordinarily uh, unlikely, but it does provide an explanation for how Jesus was alive the week after his crucifixion. Mm. This option is, though, very unlikely because the stories are clear that Jesus died. And the powers that be in the time wanted it that way. Okay? The Jewish leaders, okay, Caiaphas, the high priest, 
the Roman governor, Pilate, the rest of the Roman Empire, they had a vested interest in eliminating popular leaders such as Jesus. Those who they felt were threats to their reign, to their rule. Those who thought were threats to create, establish, or run a revolution against them. So the people who were in charge had a vested interest in seeing through to Jesus' death. In fact, the Gospel of John, 1933, writes that, quote, Jesus was already dead when the soldiers came to hurry along the process of dying so they could get the body down from the cross before nightfall. I'm not going to go into all the juicy details of what that means for the soldiers to see to it that a body is dead, but they take measures to make sure that people died on the cross during a Roman crucifixion. He would not have been pulled from that cross had he not been physically dead. Okay? That's enough of that. Death, then, is the expected result of crucifixion. Perhaps the, the more telling point, though, is that Christianity would not have been launched the way that it was had Jesus just merely survived execution. It wouldn't have the same impact, would it? Absolutely not. He would have been weak from, from blood loss, from, from torture. He would have looked like a beaten down and a failed Messiah. Instead, the disciples were willing to die for him. We talked a little bit about this last week, and that's what stemmed the, uh, this message today. The disciples were willing to undergo their own torture after Jesus had been raised, had died himself and been raised from the dead. Barely surviving execution does not explain the actions of the disciples and the creation of the movement that would become Christianity. So the fact that he merely survived execution does not make sense because there's no way we would be sitting where we are today had Jesus just merely survived execution. Do you agree with that? Shake your head, yeah. This is not an option. So option three. This is the one that, got the mo that gets the most, um, what's the word I'm looking for? The most oomph in the argument. Option three was that Jesus died, but someone stole his body. Jesus died, but someone stole his body. Uh, when Jesus died, his body was placed in a temporary tomb on Friday, the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And, 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 and what they would do in these times is they would place them in these tombs to prepare them for permanent burial. So he was placed in this tomb on Friday evening. His body was not discovered to be missing until Sunday morning. Okay, so those who watch great detective shows like me that's a lot of time between Friday night and Sunday morning for somebody to sneak in there and make off with the body, right? That's what the facts show. But this leads to the question, who in the world would steal Jesus' body? Who would steal Jesus' body? Who is the someone who would make off with the body? 
And if the body was stolen, why were the disciples willing to die and uh, proclaim what they had seen and that was him alive the next weekend? There seem to be two logical possibilities for who that someone is. The first is, is Jesus' disciples stole the body. That they, they buried it somewhere else and then lied about the resurrection. Eh. This is the simplest explanation and possibility. Okay, explains what happened to the body and why Christianity took off the way it did. In order to pull off this deception, though, do you realize the type of conspiracy that would have had to have happened? Last week, if you were here or listened to the sermon, we talked a little bit about Watergate at the beginning of the sermon and all the people that were involved in that conspiracy, and it lasted only two weeks before somebody cracked to save their own skin. Do you realize the size of the conspiracy that would have had to happen? The disciples would have needed a large group of co-conspirators, all of whom were willing to die for a lie. I just don't think that happened. You know, the actual stealing of the body could have been accomplished by a few individuals. But as we heard today in 1 Corinthians 5, 15 by Paul, he names a whole host of people who witnessed Jesus' resurrection, 500 plus. He says, witness Jesus alive after he was claimed to have been dead. Getting all these people to agree to a conspiracy that would last more than two weeks is highly unlikely. I don't know about y'all, but if there are anything like people in today's world, we can't keep a secret to save our nose, much less someone else's. Am I wrong? <laughs> How could this have been done logistically? Even more than unlikely is that the co-conspirators such as Peter and the other disciples would be willing to undergo imprisonment and ridicule and death for something they knew to be a lie. I don't know about you folks, but if I know something to be untrue, I'm not willing to hold on to it enough to die for it. That doesn't make sense. So the second thought here could be someone else stole the body, and the disciples either lied to cover it up because they didn't know what happened, or they just all mass hallucinated. The obvious question then becomes what? Who else besides the disciples would steal the body? Who else besides the disciples would have an interest in stealing the body? If so, then it goes back to the same question which we just asked. Why would the disciples be willing to die to spread his message had he not, in fact, been raised from the dead? <laughs> Finally, option four. The only option 
that convincingly explains the actions and subsequent lives of the disciples is the one that they told. It's the one that they believe. It's the one that we profess today. It's the one that we bet our lives on today. Jesus Christ, in fact, rose from the dead. Sherlock Holmes once famously said, how often have I said to you that when you have eliminated the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth? We've eliminated the logical thoughts and options that explain. The one that remains is the one that is actually most likely to be true. Jesus rose from the dead. Think about it too for a second. Even Paul, the man who was most notorious for punishing Christians, for punishing those who, quote, followed this man named Jesus from Nazareth. Jesus, uh, Paul was appointed by the high priest himself to go and to weed out these Christ followers, these Jesus followers. And then he jumped ship seemingly overnight. Why? Because Paul himself came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. It was so bright and amazing for him that it took his very sight away. And then he went had his eyes washed, and then he could see. And when he could see, he knew that he had come face to face with the living, the resurrected Jesus Christ. The best explanation for the existence of Christianity is that the disciples were telling the truth. They believe that Jesus rose from the dead and the example of their faith and their actions is the best proof that we have and it's the only proof that we need. They witnessed a life-changing event and sacrificed everything to tell others about it. I don't know about all of you, but I choose to stand in faith with those who were willing to suffer and to die for what they saw and what they believed. We believe today, though not simply because it was what makes the most sense, but we believe today because we have the same faith of the disciples. We have the same conviction as the disciples. We are willing to stand on this so much because it is what defines our faith that we are willing to be persecuted to the point of death even for what we believe. And that belief is that Jesus is the resurrection and Jesus is the life. You know, if there's one thing that is guaranteed in our walk as Christians, it is that we will face adversity because of our belief. So how this week 
when faced with adversity in whatever form it presents itself? How will we stand firm on the cornerstone that we believe and know with our hearts to be true? That Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. This is the gospel message. This is the gospel message. That Jesus is alive and rose. Let us live that faith out then, today and every day of our lives. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.